You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. Uh, you can like us on Facebook or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. Also would urge you to go to SummitHoops.com, the summit. We're in month one and we are going to be covering basketball in depth, uh, women's college hoops, WNBA, anything that is of interest to you, we'll be covering. And someone who certainly should be of interest to you, is of interest to me always to talk to, is Swin Cash. Uh, Swin, who I wouldn't even know how to summarize. We've talked about this before, that uh, she should be one of the 10 most famous people in America with all that she did, whether it's the NCAA championships, WNBA titles, an Olympic gold medalist. Swin, I can't possibly get to everything on your resume. Now you're doing work in the front office for the New York Liberty, but thanks for joining us. Thanks, Howard. You're, you're very kind. I, I appreciate it. I'm happy uh, to be here. Just, just telling it as it is. Let's talk about that new role. Now, working in the front office, I know it was something that was of interest to you uh, for a while. How did it come about, and what has been your area of emphasis uh, during this period of time? Um, well, I guess I just start from the beginning with it. Um, obviously, once I announced my retirement, um, there were a number of different opportunities that were presented to me, um, whether it was in television and speaking engagements and other things that I do. And after sitting down with kind of my husband and my family and um, my agents, uh, I really just wanted to take some time and really figure out what was you know, best for me, and if I needed to step away for a little while, or if I just wanted to jump right into things, and, uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas had, uh, the president for the Liberty had approached me and, and started having some conversations, just telling me to keep my mind open, um, he really wanted to keep me as part of the Liberty family, and uh, once those talks started going, and we started talking about what that would look like, it really started interesting, interesting me more, because of how much time I spent with the union and both on both sides of, I guess what I would say, uh, the basketball side and then the business side, uh, it intrigued me more of the opportunities that he was, he was presenting to me. And so that's when in January I just decided to jump on board and uh, I take the ground running. It's been one of those things where I came in in January and it's been nonstop on both sides of basketball and business. And it's been a lot of fun to just really kind of get your hands dirty, be behind the scenes, be able to, to, to help out and really see things start to develop um, and be able to contribute. In terms of the basketball end of things, I, you know, you, you're doing work on the media side for, you know, virtually every outlet under the sun over the past few years. Was, <laughs> it, was it a different sort of thing to be able to take those evaluations that you and I'm sure you know any basketball uh, observer does in his or her head and be able to implement them and be able to talk about them in terms of how they would have real-world implications for a team? Uh, I think the benefit that I had is that I think anyone that's played the game at a high level and that's been a student of the game, you, you can understand how to recognize a talented player, a player that has a certain skill set, but I think the unique thing with me and the perspective that I tried to bring to any of our, our meetings was really I understand the players that we already have in the locker room and the core pieces that we have there. And so uh, evaluating or looking at players and say, hey, 
yeah, this player may fit on the basketball floor, but, you know, here, Bill, here's my intake or, um, or what I'm thinking about as far as what, what this would be culturally like for the team. I think a lot of times teams just go in and they say, hey, we want to get the best available player. But you have to be careful because I know if you're trying to win and you're trying to build on a foundation you already have, chemistry is such a huge part of that. And so you want to be able to get players in that actually represent and can buy into what the, the culture is that you created. The specifics of knowing that culture from having played for the team and knowing the league as you do, you know, it's you, it's it's Catch, it's a generation of players who excelled on the court finding spots in the front office. Do you think that changes the ability and improves the ability for teams to be able to integrate players uh, more effectively onto rosters on a year-to-year basis? Uh, I, I believe so. Um, I think it's time. I think it's overdue if you ask me. Um, Catch and Ruth and myself, and we spent a number of years uh, with the union having to leave the union through some very difficult times. And so we had kind of on-the-job training, um, right. but we had some great mentors that had been around us. And we said it from the beginning that uh, not only the league office, but on a team level, there needs to be more players who could contribute and, and help grow this game and grow our league. And so for me to not just be, you know, as far as New York, um, New York's always been more of the progressive thinking, trying to be innovative, trying to be a leader in the league. Uh, you know, we had we had Teresa uh, a Witherspoon that was actually doing player development, and now if you look across the league, you have Chicago, you have Phoenix, Penny coming in there, Tully. Right. I mean, that's what you love to see. You look at the front office, and you have uh, Ruth and Ketch and myself now, and just continue to do it. And obviously, Penny Tully uh, has been there for for a very long time uh, in LA, but I think it's it's how they're doing it, and they're not just throwing players in positions. I think what's unique is that. Um, we all have a certain skill set, and really the team sitting down and figuring out how each individual player can help that organization is very important. I don't think there's um, just one role or one position um, that you can really create. Like, if you look at my position that I have with the Liberty, um, it's, it's different than anyone else's where, right. you know, I, I'm on the business side, and there's budgets, and there's marketing campaigns, and there's um, you know, what, what's our CR department doing? How does that segue into what we want to launch with our players? So really just working hand-in-hand with Kia Park on the business side and with Isaiah and, and our whole team. And then you go, go over, and the same day I could be up at the training facility and build asking me about this, you know, basketball set that you want to do and, and asking me my input on that. But, you know, the luxury that I have, Howard, is that we have an amazing coaching staff that has, I mean, unbelievable experience, championship experience, uh, they've got that covered. And so that allows me to be pretty much coming from a different perspective where I can get the overarching um, ideas and also be able to communicate with the players on a day-to-day basis that uh, is, I think, a luxury to our team or organization. Uh, no question about it, and obviously Liberty fans should be extremely glad that you are on board on both ends of uh, both ends of the organization. I do wonder when you tried to make evaluations in the draft, a couple of complicating factors. One being you don't have the pick until pick 14. So how much of a challenge was it uh, to be able to find the right fit 
that's number one. And then number two, how much of a challenge is it when in so many ways, you know, this is a veteran team. This is a team with some recent playoff experience. This is a team that in a lot of ways is built to win now. Yeah, I think um, this was my first draft experience on the other side. Um, it was very, very interesting for me because you spend hours and hours, uh, three days even leading up to it, uh, going all, over all these different scenarios and where players can go. And the reality is, is, is once that clock, you know, starts, you really have no idea what other teams are going to do. And you can, you know, you can be behind the scenes and working the phones, but. You know, once a pick is made, you just start moving names and different things start happening so fast. And so it was um, it, it was fascinating to watch our coaching staff and, um, you know, going through exercises with Isaiah about, you know, what, what we stand for as an organization and making sure that, you know, we all were on the same page. Um, and then you had Bill leading it from the, the, the X's and O's standpoint, and then we're looking at also from the business side. So, there's, there's a lot of things we go into that day that fans don't understand, and even as a player, you don't understand it, you know how they're really truly evaluating you on every single facet of not only your game but your you know, your character as well. Um, and so, the one thing that I learned is that um, everyone in the room will have an opinion, but once you you make a decision, everyone's all in on it, and and that's what I really loved about our uh, draft day experience is because at the end of the day we ended up exactly where we wanted to be so that was good and so for the character end of things I, I, we had a piece at the summit last week talking about the fact that Look, WNBA teams, in a way that NBA teams don't have to, have to do more with less and trying to get face-to-face. Were you participating in some of those conversations? Um, I think because of my relationships, um, I'm able to, to call and talk to whether it's ex-players, whether it's ex-coaches, and, and get a lot of feedback. The same way that I look at our staff and Katie and Stone who have those relationships as well, right. uh, you're going to see Bill that's going to be working with the agent. So everyone kind of stays in their lane and, and, and be able to come back and bring something to the table. So I will say that there's it's not one of those things where – you're just waiting and you're picking. It is a thought, a, a thought process that goes into it. It is a strategy. Um, you're making sure you're crossing all your teeth, dotting your eyes. And at the end of the day, I always say that sometimes you get it right in a draft. Sometimes you get it wrong. But it's not from a lack of effort or, or making sure you have as much knowledge as possible about the pick that you're going to have. And my goodness, I mean, so much WNBA royalty uh, with the Liberty that it's it, it's a, a luxury to be sure, and obviously it's a terrific thing to be able to lean on that those networks uh, along the way. In terms of the specific pick, it obviously wasn't a surprise to many people to see you go with a point guard uh, when you think about down the stretch and last year with, with Tanisha Wright playing the point and Bill being quite vocal in public about the fact that, you know, look, he, he, he was stretching her uh, quite a bit, that, you know, you guys would be looking uh, regardless uh, to add a point guard uh, coming into this year uh, to play uh, with Brittany Boyd. What what did surprise some people was uh, Lindsay Allen in that spot. Not that Lindsay didn't have much to recommend her, but with Alexis Peterson on the board, with Fionda Fitzgerald still on the board, not that there was really a wrong answer there, but how did Lindsay separate herself in your mind and the minds of the staff uh, that she became the pick? Well, I think that 
Well, I could say the thing with um, Lindsay and just all of the background who watched a lot of film on her, a lot of times people, like I said earlier, get caught up in the best available player, whether it's a player that scores more points or a player that had more assists or more rebounds. Uh, you have to find a perfect fit that you feel for your team. Uh, and for us, I mean, if you look at our core players and you look at what we have, the firepower we have on the wings, and you look at uh, our guard play, and then you look at the post and our franchise player and, and Tina, Tina Charles and our ability to get the ball inside, our ability to shoot from the outside, um, we had the point covered. You look at Brittany Boyd as explosive. You look at Bria Hartley that's coming in and, you know, to be – She's had a few years in the league, and if you got steady hand, they can get to that mid-range game and get you in a blazing set. Well, we looked at it as an opportunity without Tanisha being here is for a young player to come in and compete. You know, we feel Lindsay would come in and compete with our team, and I think Bill said it a number of times when people have asked him this question, is that you want to get high-character players, you want to get talented players, but you want to get players that fit. And I think he just – when it all was said and done, we gave him our, our, you know, our take on things, and it comes down to, to him making the decision as the head coach. Muffin McGraw player, would you would think, translate pretty well to being a Billy and Beer player. So that also seems like uh, a set of cultures that uh, would integrate pretty nicely. The, the other pick that you had in, in Kai James, uh, bringing in you know, another big... That's going to be a real challenge for her to make a roster where there's so many bids already on the roster, wouldn't you say? Um, I would say if I'm, and I tell this to any rookie that's coming in, I don't care if you're the first pick or you're the twelfth pick, you come in like you have something to prove, like you need to take a roster spot, not that anything's going to be given to you. And I would say the same thing to, to Lindsay, the same way I would say to James and, and, and any other player that we have coming in, even our training camp players, it's going to be a very competitive um, training camp for the New York Liberty. Make no mistake about that. Um, yes, we have the draft. We have players that are coming in, but from the start, we're going to let them know like everything is earned here. So you're going to have to come in and compete. Uh, we have some players uh, coming in that we think that are actually going to push our rookies even even more so. Um, players, you know, coming into our, our, our draft. I mean, to our sorry, our training camp. So. I don't think that it's – I would say James's position is no different than um, than Allen's position in regards to because they were drafted this year, everyone's going to have to come on a spot. In, t- in the draft, what you didn't take was a first-round pick, and the reason was that you had traded that pick for Amanda Zowie B. Now, thinking about what she is capable of doing, what she's already done, it seems to me that she would, A, have been the best big in this draft, ahead of even an Elena Coates, uh, even a Bree Jones, uh, and and B, and and just as significant, there's a chance she might have been the best player in this draft. Is that how you guys see her? Uh, well, we see it as yeah. If you put if you put um, from a standpoint, would she have been a top draft pick in this draft? Absolutely. Um, and I think the good thing for her is to have it have that experience now under her belt, where she's a year. In, in the Liberty system, and she understands exactly what's expected of her. And Zowie's done a phenomenal job this offseason overseas, so we feel like we're going to be getting back uh, a player that, yes, could have been a number one um, draft pick if so this year, but at the same time, now she has that international and overseas experience even more so. 
um, and had a, a, a really nice season. So that's how we look at it from that position, and um, that's why we feel really comfortable with the picks that we made in the draft and the players we have coming into training camp because we do feel like we have a solid core this, this year right now. Within that core, for the players who have been most active and improved themselves the most this offseason, who have you seen as expecting the biggest leap uh, of your returning players now? Uh, you know, the, the, um, the bar has been, been risen. I think from each and every one of our players, um, leaving out of last season and starting even January when I came on board, um, we, we've been in contact, the coaching staff has been in contact, we've been in contact as far as just kind of letting them know what our expectations are of them to come back and how everyone individually has to improve. Mm-hmm. I've been really impressed that the players that we've had home, looking at how hard Tina Charles is working. Uh, Tina Charles was overseas, she came back home, and you would think that somebody that, well, you know, not the best, the top three in the WNBA in regards to, to to her as a franchise player, yeah. you would think that she would just be taking it easy and not want to beat her body up, but the workouts that she's been going through with, with Teaspoon and with um, assistant coach Herb to get her ready for this season is unbelievable. I think people are going to see even more added to Tina Charles' game this year. I think Sugar Rogers is biting us a bit to get back out there on the floor because he wants to continue to grow. And I think what's going to be interesting is it's wide open for Bria Hartley and uh, Brittany Boyd, and they're two dynamic young players are going to come in here and compete really hard and that's fun for us to think about is to, to have players that are going to come in and, and want to compete and get the time wherever it may be so I think just talking with Bill the one thing he just keeps reiterating it's going to be a very competitive and, and tough training camp and that's what we love. It's interesting. The the Liberty roster feels to me like the Liberty team of tomorrow is buried underneath the Liberty team of today, and it seems like you have that that flexibility and versatility. And and you're right; those battles will be fantastic to watch. What about for you, though? You obviously, and we've talked about this before. You could do anything you want, and that's always been the case. You know, front office, media, everything else. But your half of your entire life, your your entire adult life, has been spent playing basketball and getting ready to play at this time of year. What What is this like emotionally for you as training camp approaches and, you know, you think about approaching it in a very different way? Uh, it's it's, um, it's going to be interesting. I don't think that I ever reflected back on, on retiring because I, as soon as I retired, I still was on the go. and. Right. Uh, this off season was very similar to what usually my other off seasons are, um, as far as like doing a lot of things, traveling, and, and being involved in business wise. But I think it's going to probably hit me once training camp starts, and I say that because I'm used to at this time itching to to want to play. And um, you know, I spent starting in January, January through pretty much. Um, the end of February, you know, I was going through some workouts and stuff with Tina and banging with her. And we kept joking. I told her, I still think I can get a 10 day if I need it. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, I think it will be difficult, Howard. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But I think the thing that keeps me going and, and really inspires me is that I'm in a position in a role now where I'm able to, 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 to help influence things that I, I felt for years when I was a player that could have or should have been happening, but you didn't really necessarily have a voice. And now I can sit in a meeting, and when 
you know, someone across the table telling me exactly what the players should be doing or what they're like. Well, I come from that world, so I'm able to bring that perspective. And so the players now feel like they have somebody that, whether it's through marketing, whether it's through CR, that, that's looking out and understands how, um, how these things go and what it takes not only to win a championship, but to make sure everyone's on the same page. So uh, it, it really makes me feel good to know that I'm still contributing in a way to help them realize and fulfill their goals. And that, for me, is, it, it does a lot. Uh, I keep getting asked the question over and over since I've taken this position. It's so funny, whether it's NBA or WNBA or media people, are like, so when are you going to move? Are you thinking about the men's side? And I'm just like, listen, right now, <laughs> like I'm comfortable with, with, with what I'm doing, and I'm excited to see the changes that we're going to uh, make and we're going to implement for our players. And we build the future as it comes, but right now I'm just enjoying the moment. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because there's been this real meta discussion about, lately in particular, comparing men's players to women's players. And I see someone like you who's moved pretty freely back and forth between the two. And it seems to me that the longer range goal ought to be just that, that there's not men's basketball and women's basketball, that there's basketball and that there are unlimited opportunities for women in men's basketball, not just Becky Hammond is some sort of outlier, that the conversation about when a position comes up to coach men is about women as much as it is about men, and that there is that true parity. And having those comparisons across genders strikes me as a way in order to eliminate that red line. Do you see it that way? Because the the flip side, and, and it's not an insignificant point, is that there is, of course, a tremendous history within the women's game as well, and there are obviously comparisons to make women to women as well. What are your thoughts on it in, in terms of the current state of basketball? Uh, my thought on it is that whether you play men's basketball or you work for men's basketball, that does not validate what you do or who you are. And unfortunately, because men's basketball is so huge and, and global and all the things they do, it's easier for people to want to compare women athletes or women in the front office to saying that's the bar for success. And I really think it just comes down to, for me, uh, just can you do your job? Like, can you do your job? Can you be successful? And I think because throughout my career, I've never completely experienced that because of having relationships and friends that are on both sides that actually are athletes or in the front office that show a level of respect. I usually hear this perspective, and to be honest with you, Howard, is when you're talking to whether it's people that are in the media or the average fan of the NBA and guys who wants to hate on women's basketball for whatever reason, but has never watched the game. And so I think I love to see this get to the point where Becky Hammond isn't a novelty. We're talking about, like, other women in the front office. Like, right. I look at, I said this before, I look at Teresa Witherspoon, and I look at how Spoon is doing the workouts with our players individually and player development. And I'm like, please stay here because everything that happens is people always want to come and take your talent, right? Hmm. Whether that's a men or women's basketball, somebody's so good. Um, and I'm just like, the success, the level of the bar should always just be 
the men's league. Now, if you want to go and you want to be an executive with the NBA, great. If you want to be an executive with the WBA, you want to be in the league office, that's great. But I don't think that people should judge your success level or what you can accomplish based on the gender of the sports that you're, you're dealing with. Because I don't think it's that way when you're talking about other sports as much. Or maybe it is. But I just feel for basketball, we get under a microscope and scrutinize a lot more than um, other sports at times. No question about it. And, I, I mean, you think about someone like Katie Smith. Katie Smith could be able to coach any team in America. Men, women, doesn't really matter. But in terms of comps, obviously, anyone who wants to try and come up with a comp to to you, men's, women's, good luck. I don't think you're going to find it. Swin Cash, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Absolutely. Thank you. And we'll see you this summer at the Garden. Oh, many, many times. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. A reminder to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, and make sure you check out the Summit, summithoops.com, 24-7, 365 women's basketball. I'm Howard Meddahl, wishing you a wonderful day.